electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Pete Najarian, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, we are trading the tech wreck. The Nasdaq tumbling again today as the great rotation takes hold. Just ahead, you'll hear from one market pro who says the highs are in for the year. Plus, we're all over the after-hours action. Shares a lift. The stock is soaring on earnings. Uh, the call is underway. We will break down that quarter. And later, move over, Mr. November. Tim Seymour stepping up to the plate to pitch his next best idea. Why he thinks his beaten down behemoth is ready to take flight. But we start off with a fast money breakdown of today's market. The Dow rallying again. The S&P 500 barely budged. The Nasdaq continuing to fall. But the real stunner of the move was in the bond market. The 10-year Treasury yield hitting its highest level since March. Our next guest says the real surge is yet to come. Chris Barone called the breakout when he was on the show a couple weeks back. So, Chris, where are we headed from here? Hey, Mel, uh, I think we're headed with the yields going up still. And I think what's important about this move, it's not a few days old. It's a few months old. Bond yields bottomed in late June, early July. The trend here is several months old. I think any short-term pullback in bond yields into the 85 to 90 basis point range, uh, that would be an area to be a seller of bonds. We think ultimately yields can go up from here. And if you look at the longer-term chart of 10-year yields, you have to really focus on where yields bounced from in 2016 and where they broke down from in 2020. And when you look at this move here, I think 130-140 is ultimately where this is likely to go. That's where those key levels are. I think importantly, as bond yields have gone up, the yield curve has also steepened here. Twos and tens are pushing 80 basis points. And I think equity leadership changes along with that. We've talked about regional banks here before. I think that trend continues. The KRE here is starting to break out, not just relative mm -hmm. S&P, but on its own right. The 50-day in the KRE is now up through the 200-day uh, as well. So the technical uh, is starting to improve here as well. And I think ultimately you have KRE pushing 59, 60, 61 over the next number of months. I think the stocks you want to play here, if you look within here, Regions Financial, RF, one of the better looking names uh, in this group. I think this speaks to a steepening curve. I think it speaks to higher yields. None of these are new trends. These are stories that began months ago. I think they continue now. Chris, I want to underscore the levels to which you think yields will go um, much higher from here, correct? Yeah, I think 130 to 140 are the levels to circle here. These were the big levels both earlier this year and in 2016. This is where you broke out from. This is where you broke down from. Think about this as gravity pulling yields up to that level. I think ultimately the bigger story is not yields themselves going up. It's the curve steepening. Twos and tens have decisively broken out. This is a three-year high on twos and tens. Leadership changes with that. I think it speaks to an environment where the banks can do a lot better. All right, Chris, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much. Thank you. Chris Verone. Now, we start off the bat with Chris, which is a departure from our normal for the show, because if Fast Money were a movie, that would be the scene setter. 
because higher rates is the prism through which we need to view the markets at this point, Guy. So in a world in which rates go to 130 or 140, what does a stock market look like? It's like a Tarantino movie, right? And by the way, is he in the, is he in the booth right now? No. Is that why we did this? Because I know, I happen to know he's a huge fan of Fast Money. I, I digress, clearly. Where do you go? <laughs> so first of all, you have to know what your line in the sand is. And, you know, I, you heard Wilf and Sarah talk about the bond market being closed tomorrow. And that's fascinating because we're at a critical point. In terms of the TLT, 153.16 was the low, I think, on June 5th. That probably coincided with 95 basis or points or so in the 10-year. That's your line in the sand. I happen to think we're going higher in rates, lower in the TLT. And you can go to the banks and we can talk about that. Or you can go to Tim's resource trade that's been on fire. FCX, Freeport, McMoran traded over 21 the other day. It's pulled back. I think all those names still work. So although the banks have room, I do believe, and we can talk about City still being cheap on a price to tangible book, I think the place to be is resources. Well. I, it has been an extraordinary week so far, and today is just Tuesday for the regionals as well as the S&P financials. S&P financials up 8%. KRE, which Chris had mentioned, up more than 16%. I mean, these kinds of moves are like the moves that you would see in Peloton or Beyond Meat in a single day. Yeah, and, and I think you've got a case here where uh, the banks will go higher, both on valuation, some sense that uh, they were a lot more conservative in 3Q. In other words, they didn't have as aggressive of, of, of the loan provisions. In fact, a lot of them rolled off. You got some sense that credit is at least uh, we have a better sense of it. And, and it is important to talk about yields today, especially on the day we had the largest 10-year auction of all time. Yeah. Um, 41 billion was auctioned and it was very, very soft. And this is after yields had moved from 50 basis points in August to 96 going into this. So you should have had good demand. And it, and it underscores another issue, which is that there's a ton of supply coming out of the Treasury market. And I, I think rates are going higher, too. I, I don't think they can get too far away from you on the upside. But remember, we're at 160 on the 10-year in February going into COVID, and we started the year at 2%. So um, even if we got some sense that we are pulling out, and even if the vaccine takes a full year uh, before we get back to some normalcy, who knows? Um, yields should go higher, and, and, and ultimately equities will respond. BHP, Rio Tinto, uh, Guy talked about Freeport, but this resource rate, Glencore, which is probably as levered to higher rates as anybody, uh, was up 4% today, and you should follow these trades. Gross, I want to get your take, and I don't think that we've spoken since before the election. So kudos to you for getting, on the, getting the, uh, rotation right in your positioning of your portfolio in terms of chemicals and some of those industrial names. Where do we go from here in a world in which rates push to 140 and, and the yield curve steepens? Yeah, so I think you have to stay with financials. Obviously, I'm staying with those, uh, with those diversified chemical plays, with the paper plays. I'm rotating out of technology. I'm staying where I am. But if you look at it, as the guys were just saying, J.P. Morgan is up 24% seven days. Citi up 21% in seven days. Goldman up 16% in seven days. Now, if you look at the 10-year, just on a yields basis, as Chris covered, it's up on a percentage-wise, it's up 35% in three days, over 90% in 90 days. So you have to stay with the banks. Everyone bet against them. Now you have to bet on the banks, industrials, banks, chemicals. That's what I would do, and that's what I would continue to do. Now, you have to remember, we're still, it feels like we're long in the tooth with this rotation. It just started. This is a 20-year unwind. So I think that it's going to take much, much longer. Are we going to get 20 years? No. 
maybe a couple of years, I think you're going to see a gross outperformance by value. And that's where people who are watching the show should be putting their money right now. Selling their technology plays, going into value plays, start with the banks and then trickle down from there. Pete, you're a tech guy. you pairing your exposure there. And how do you feel about the banks, especially given, you know, the Biden administration, depending on what Treasury secretary we get, we could be staring down the barrel of tighter regulations on this sector. Yeah, you know, Mel, I'm not so, so concerned about the technology names. As a matter of fact, I have not sold one of the, the ones that I'm exposed to at this point in time. But I do agree with the guys about the material space and specifically the banks. I mean, Mel, all you've got to do, and I think Steve just laid it out very, very nicely in terms of J.P. Morgan, the performance that we've seen out of Bank of America, all these stocks across the board, including many of those regional names. Um, I'm very happy about it. I've got a lot of exposure to the banks. I was one of those people getting pretty frustrated and didn't know when we were going to see some of that performance, especially after the earnings season. And we heard how good so many different parts of the banks were, just not all of the parts. Well, they're going to start to see a little bit more improvement, especially if we get to Chris's targets of what it is. I think he said 130, 140, something like that for the 10 years. So I think that that really does bode well for the banks, the regionals, all of them should perform. And many of these names, Mel, not only do they give you the, the yields that they give you, but on top of that, we have had incredibly high volatility to be able to sell against these positions. So it really has been a, a place to be, I think, even when we haven't had the performance. Now we get the additional performance side of what's going on in the financials, and this really does give you an absolute home run, in my opinion. The J.P. Morgans of the world, if I can sell options against that and get my dividend yield and get a little bit of performance from the stock, which we haven't been getting because we were so stuck at $100 a share for so long, this is absolutely something that I look at as a home run. So, Guy, does this mean that we should be expecting better economic growth on the horizon if we are to believe that rates are rising to 130 or 140? Yeah, that's I mean, I think most people would say that is the case. I'm not certain that's going to be the case. I think rates can rise for that reason, the right reason. Or they can go up for other reasons. And I think we're sort of in the other reason camp. Uh, but if you do get, you know, if there's some chance of getting a stimulus bill through in the early part of this new administration, assuming that's what's happening here, uh, I think that could lead to at least some, some hope for economic growth. But again, you know, we're coming into a really dangerous period in terms of the virus, in terms of the season. Uh, I, I am hard pressed to believe you're going to see the economic growth that's commensurate with this bond move. And that's going to create some problems, I think, maybe for the S&P 500. Uh, and that's one thing I think you have to look at very closely in terms of why yields are going higher. I happen to think they're going up for the wrong reason. Should we care what is fueling this rise in rates, Tim? Or do we show, is it good enough to know that they are going higher and that is how you invest? Well, when rates got down to 35 basis points during the lows of the crisis, uh, you know, that was disturbing on many levels. So uh, I, I would prefer to call this rates starting to normalize. And, and we, we know the environment we've been in for the last four, four decades, let alone uh, the last four years as central banks have, have, you know, we've used the term tools, tool shed, um, you know. The bottom line here is that uh, rates are, are going higher for a handful of reasons, and they include uh, deficit dynamics, they include issuance dynamics, they include uh, the early stages of a recovery, even if they are not upon us, will be priced in before that. Make no mistake. Um, in some sense, even though the Fed is not going to go near this, um, that the Fed at some point could be backing off of Uber accommodative, again, not in the short term, but rates are going higher for all of those reasons. Mm -hmm. And interest rate sensitive sectors, whether it's energy, whether it's utilities, whether it's resources, whether it's banks, uh, have been rallying not just for the last couple of days. 
Uh, in fact, they've been outperforming for probably, you know, a month and a half. All right. We got a news alert here on the Airbnb public listing. Deidre Bosa's got the story. D. Hey, Melissa, we have been on Prospectus Watch this week for Airbnb's S1, which would, of course, kick off one of the most anticipated IPOs of the year that was expected to drop tomorrow. But a source telling our Leslie Picker that now we should be expecting it next week. Melissa, I don't have a reason for this, but perhaps the delay, and it would only be a few days, would give it a little bit more distance from the presidential election as both continue to be tallied. Back to you. Remind me, Deidre, where is it supposed to list? Which exchange? On the NASDAQ. The big okay. win for the NASDAQ, this one. Yep. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. I mean, one might think also that conditions, market conditions at this moment in time for NASDAQ, for these quote-unquote growth stocks, aren't quite right. Um, Pete, where would you stand on an issuance like an Airbnb? Yeah, you know, I think the excitement is there, Mel. There's no doubt about it. But the excitement was also there for, for Uber, which took forever to finally, it was a mature company by the time they finally got in there. It had a very, very short love affair, and then suddenly they sold off. So it makes you kind of wonder, have they waited a while for Airbnb, and is this the right time? Um, I think we're seeing improvements, there's no doubt about it. So maybe they're going to get very fortunate about the timing, but it's still a, it's a very frothy area for a lot of various names out there, Mel. And I think because of that, I think it might be a little bit dicey for them at this point in time. All right, coming up, some healthy gains. The hospital stock's feeling fine today as the Supreme Court takes up Obamacare. We'll bring you that trade, but first, shares of Lyft jumping on earnings. The company announcing a bold move to expand its business. We've got fresh comments from the call when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares a lift surging after its latest quarterly results. Let's get to Deidre Bosa again with more on the numbers. Hey, Dee. Hey, Mel. Well, Lyft continues to see a recovery in ride sharing, though far from year ago levels. And unlike Uber, which has pivoted to food delivery, Lyft's core continues to be under pressure amid the pandemic. So now in its own shift, the company says that it is looking to take a slice of this delivery market. And that has turned around shares in the after hours. They were down, but now they're up by about 5.5%, they were up as much as 7%, and that would bring its month-to-date gains to more than 60%, guys. Lyft's delivery model, though, is likely to look different from Uber's. The company says that it's looking at what it sees as an untapped market, offering delivery services for restaurants without a fully-fledged consumer-facing platform. And in that way, it could avoid some of those higher commission fees that have faced a lot of backlash from restaurants and lawmakers. On the call, co-founder and president John Zimmer, he threw a bit of shade at that commission-based model. Have a listen. We've spent time talking to retailers and other local businesses about what they need, and they've told us that current delivery models with their expensive commissions are not working for them. So, Melissa, he's basically calling out Uber here. And it's interesting. I spoke to an Uber executive right after that Prop 22 win in California. I asked him to characterize the relationship 
with Lyft? Are they friends now because they sided to get those regulations uh, pushed through? And he said, no, they're still just frenemies. Uh, last thing, don't miss John Zimmer on Squawk Box tomorrow morning. Back to you. Deidre, I have a question. I'm a little bit confused based on what I'm hearing and then what I'm reading from the press release and what Zimmer has uh, commented in various writers. And that is, it makes it, it sounds like they would be competing with Uber, but um, Zimmer, as quoted in various releases, says that he will not foray into consumer deliveries. So what is it here? So the idea is that they wouldn't have a consumer-facing platform. Like when you open up Uber Eats, you see that Uber sort of labels it all under this Uber Eats umbrella. So you wouldn't actually see Lyft's platform at all. It would just be sort of this white glove model delivering behind the scenes. DoorDash does this as well for some of its restaurant partners. And Lyft has already been doing this for some Grubhub restaurant deliveries, but it essentially means that it would not be consumer facing. They would just be doing delivery behind the scenes. And so you would think in that way, it may not have as many costs, so it may not have to charge the same kinds of commissions that Uber and DoorDash and Grubhub have. Okay, so they are doing consumer deliveries. The consumer may not realize, though, that it's a Lyft car. Yes. Okay. Debo, thank you. Deirdre Bosa. Um, Guy Dami, I go to you because you had always liked Lyft because of its pure play model. And here it is. Not so pure anymore if it and goes ahead there. with this. Oh, and you worked there. Yeah, that's true. He and worked I worked there. there. Yeah. Yeah. I did work there. Yeah. I would. Yeah. True. Yeah, I, I, was, I drove in Hoboken, which is, as you know, Melissa, a very difficult place to navigate as a Lyft driver. But again, I digress. You know, you've had the Joker, Joker, and the triple for Lyft. You had, obviously, the California vote, tr Joker one. Joker two was the Pfizer news. And Joker three, which is a good thing, by the way, with this earnings. I thought that Lyft could outperform Uber over the last couple of weeks. That's happened. But if you go back and look, right up against this 3940 level, we topped that on June 10th, I think. You got to start to take money off the table. I think you'll probably get a chance to buy it a little bit lower when I say a little bit low 30s. Again, it's been a great run, but I think all the catalysts you've been waiting for have happened with earnings being today. Yeah. Grasso, how do you feel about Lyft? Well, first of all, kudos to, to, uh, to Guy. He had called this uh, underperformance and the lagger and popping it. I think it's popped about 80%. In about nine days, uh, Lyft has. It's still down about 11% year-to-date. Uber is up 60% year-to-date. Uber has a normalized earnings environment, revenue of over $13 billion. Their other bets are $850 million. Against Lyft, Lyft pales tremendously in comparison. Um, they ha would have to start growing for me internationally. I don't know if they're going to do that. But if you look at the progression... As Guy named all the, uh, the, the Joker, Joker, and a wild card, if you look at the progression that we've had with a vaccine on the forefront, people are getting back in the back of these cars. They are recovering. Does it mean that Lyft is a better bet? It is a laggard. You're going to, probably going to get the beta play there. But ultimately, long-term money, I would be putting into Uber, and I would still be putting money into Uber. I think they have a, a, a nice revenue stream on the horizon, and I like the fact that they're pulling five billion in revenues internationally as well as what they're doing here in the states all right we've got much more ahead here on fast money here's what's coming up next it's the great rotation or is it big tech selling off for the second straight day even as the dow reaches toward new highs what does this say about the strength of the market and what should you do with the major players and later, legacy automakers are looking to reinvent themselves. 
So is this the start of a whole new world for these companies? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was another tough day for tech. The Nasdaq dropping 1.3% for its second straight day of declines. Our next guest says, get ready for more tech pain ahead because the highs could be in for the year. Julian Emanuel is BTIG's chief equity and derivative strategist. Julian, great to see you. Great to be with you. I feel like the intro sets you up to be the Grinch because um, we we're all expecting seasonally some sort of rally into year end. Santa Claus to come uh, you know, with this sleigh, et cetera, and yet here you are, highs are, highs are in. It's over. Well, it's not over. Um, okay. In fact, we actually think that 2021 is setting up to be a very good year. But when you look at 2020, the seasonals haven't really worked that well. Um, you know, in fact, you saw massive rally, massive volatility, um, and huge volume during the summer months when you don't traditionally see it. Um, and when we look out over between now and year end, between now and Inauguration Day, there's a lot of uncertainty with regard to politics. There's, again, the same uncertainties that we were dealing with before the election. You know, will there or won't there be stimulus with the virus accelerating? And all of those are headwinds, particularly with rates starting to creep higher, which are uh, punitive for the Nasdaq. And, and look, when you look at Monday's action, uh, spike highs on very heavy volume. It, I think it's it very noticeable that all the major indices made new highs except 2020's leader, the NASDAQ. That's a sign of weakness in our view. Yeah, definitely. And it, but it's important to note that even though you think that the markets overall, the broader markets could be held back because of the heavy tech weighting, that there are opportunities in this value rotation that you still see. So which sectors do you like the best there? Absolutely. Uh, for the long term, we think, again, uh, the story of, of a bullish 2021 will be written by financials, small caps. Uh, we think healthcare, in particular, you know, has really suffered coming into the election, trading at over a five multiple discount to the S&P 500 versus an historical average of a one and a half 
multiple premium. Um, and, you know, what we're seeing is, again, uh, with President-elect Biden talking about, you know, making twe tweaks to Obamacare, not really, you know, sort of ripping it up. And we're getting body language from the Supreme Court that they're not likely to strike down the ACA either. We think there's a lot of opportunity in health care. Hey, Julian, it's Tim. You know, as a derivatives guy, you see the type of volatility in markets. So we, we're about to we're halfway through our sixth 10 percent move since August 5th, up 10 percent, down 10 percent, up 10 percent and so on. And now down another 6 percent of the 10. What does that tell you about this market? Because, you know, ultimately this is extraordinary in, in, in historic terms. There's no question about it. And again, you know, we all know, having lived through it, uh, whether investors or not, that 2020 has been an extraordinarily historic year. And when you look at look at the next several weeks, um, the message is, is that this level of volatility is to be expected. Um, and, and frankly, when you think about the average uh, price of the VIX, it's hovered between 25 and 30 for the most part, most of the year. And, and you're right in pointing out that volatility usually does come in during the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, but again, there's enough uncertainty where we think that's not the case. Julian, great to see you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Julian Emanuel, BTIG. I feel like we need a, a, a countdown to Christmas clock. Um, that would be really appropriate here. Um, <laughs> Guy yesterday said that it looked like maybe a top. Julian is saying the same thing. Pete, where do you stand on that? You know, Mel, I, I, I know I hear that a lot and, and everybody's talking about that, but I think when you consider all the different various catalysts that still exist out there, I mean, we still are dealing with the election. I think there's a lot of a lot of catalysts that actually could still send us higher. Now, yesterday we traded 48 million option contracts, which was a monster number. We talk about the volatility. Just a week ago we were trading at 37. Now we're trading 25. Um, I don't think we stay here that long, Mel. I don't think we just sit here and adjust. I think we're going to see some more volatility coming back into the marketplace, but not necessarily in a negative way. I just think that we're going to continue to see a lot of some of what you guys are talking about when you're talking about rotation. But I do think there's a huge difference between growth names and specifically quality names. And I think there are quality names out there that separate themselves away from some of those growth names that we all talk about, whether that's a Zoom or a Peloton or whatever it might be. And I think there are definitely the quality names out there that have pulled back a little bit, understandably yeah. so, after the huge run that they've had, that I think actually gives us a little bit of upside. And we're going to talk about these quality names. We've got a massive huge game ahead but i do want to go to Ooh. guy just quickly and say are we going to look back and say that monday was in fact the top now that you've 24 hours you've had 24 hours to think about it guy the s p 500 i mean for you armchair technicians and i know uh carter braxton worth is watching right now and of course the great louise yamada is also tuned in but you know people can talk about the potential for an island reversal it still sets up that way in the s p 500 given that gap open higher and the potential for a gap open lower. So, yes, that's one of those that's one of those pages in the book. And we did this Moby Dick thing months ago that yeah. you want to sort of put a little check mark on or what do you put those little tabs? You were one of those students I know that highlighted like every single I don't phrase like to write in every in books. single book made me like crazy. But I like to respect the anyway, book. Just saying. All right. Um, let's get to uh, that game. With the Nasdaq continuing to sell, sell off today, we want to know if any of the beaten down tech names are worth a buy. So we want to play our favorite game. 
Trade it or fade it. That's right, trade it or fade it. NASDAQ oh. Losers Edition. We start off wide. QQQ ETF down nearly 4% this week. Pete, trading it or fading it? Yeah, and this is a great example of what we were just talking about because when you look at the triple Qs, you look at Microsoft and Apple and Facebook and Amazon. Those four are pretty much 40% of the triple Qs, Mel. So I like these names. I think they're quality names. I don't put these in the just plain old growth category. And because of that, I think it's traded time for this. I think this goes higher. I'm going to fade the Qs, uh, Melissa. This for me is everything in, in the whole essence of the value uh, rotation into value. If you're paying for tech companies based on future cash flow and rates are rising, you have to discount that rate or discount the rating on that stock or the valuation. So I would fade the triple Qs. All right. Next up, Microsoft down nearly 6% this week. Tim, trade it or fade it? I think you have to trade it, uh, and, and I realize that big cap tech has got a bullseye on it right now, but, but Microsoft, despite really difficult comps, gave you a fantastic start to their fiscal year. Azure up 47%, beat a lot of expectations. Uh, I think 32 times, 33 times in the world of these mega cap tech stocks is as much value as you have other than possibly Google. So um, stay in, don't run too far. In fact, stay in that name. I'm with, I'm with, now it sounds counterintuitive because I just said there's potential to have that Monday being one of those benchmark days. But Pete also said there's a difference between quality names and the broader market. And Microsoft is one of those quality names. $200, for whatever reason, has been a line in the sand. I think the real level of support comes in the form of 190, which was the prior all-time high back in February. I don't think we get there. And I'm in the trade camp along with hashtag smooth. <laughs> Next up, AMD down over 9% this week already. So Grasso, trade it or fade it? Well, this fits into my tech play, but to get granular on it, the stock is up 70% year to date. All the near-term moving averages or the short-term moving averages has, have rolled over, which means that the stock is losing momentum. This stock has doubled since December 2019, pre-pre-COVID. For me, this is a fade. I probably should have said that first, but I think you got the drift. Fade AMD. Even, even though all the fundamentals are at work, I think that it's in the technology space, and I think that that's going to be hit with major headwinds in the next couple of months, next couple of years. And, Mel, I think you know where I'm going. I'm going with Traded, especially because of the fact that it's just had this pullback. As a matter of fact, when you go back to their earnings, they not only beat, but they guided higher. They also bought Xilinx for $35 billion. All of that money that they're paying for Xilinx will come back multiple fold, I think, because of all the different areas that's going to help out with AMD and obviously competition. So because of that, I think AMD, it's made a nice pullback. I think it's going to spike right back up. I think we, we might see 100 bucks before the end of the year. In the old days of being at the NASDAQ altogether, we would have had a split screen between Pete and Grasso. Uh, finally, Square <laughs> down more than 13%, right? It's like days of yore. It seems like ages ago. Um, Square down more than 13% since yesterday. So, Guy, trade it or fade it? Trade that sucker. And listen, it's had a huge move to the downside over the last week, to your point. It was just $201. It's $172 now. That third quarter they reported on November 6th was ridiculous, ridiculous, meaning strong. I think the prior all-time high comes in the form of 168 back on September 1st. That's your huge, huge support level. Trade it, square, Melissa. 
Yeah, look, uh, a guy just tagged me, and I'm jumping off the top turnbuckle and also fading this one hard. Uh, look, long-time owner, uh, probably first-time seller. I have a small legacy position, but um, the, the, the cash app, the stickiness, we know the cross-selling. It's a great, great story. It's a valuation that's very difficult here. And if you're going to see tech pull back, this is a higher beta to the entire space. Coming up, what do Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, and Magic Johnson have to do with one of our traders' core holdings? The big money answer, straight ahead. But first, Tim is winding up for a fast pitch. He thinks this name can really help your portfolio take off. That is on deck when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a turbulent year for the airlines, but our Tim Seymour sees one airline-related stock gaining some serious altitude. Tim is taking the mound with a fast pitch. So, Tim, take it away. Hey, Mel. Yeah, look, the, the, the pitch is, is Boeing. And, and while this company's been on the waiver wire uh, or sent to the showers early uh, for the last you know, six months, arguably a year, uh, on dynamics around not just demand in the airspace uh, in COVID-19, but obviously the 737 MAX fiasco. Um, uh, the dynamics here changed overnight on Monday. You had a case where, look, the vaccine doesn't change the, the Aero story until at least the end of 2021, as far as I'm concerned, but it changed the investor sentiment. It gives you uh, a when, not an if, around the recovery here. And Boeing will participate in the first part of a recovery, and it will, participate, it will outperform, in my view. Uh, the second bullet point is that the Biden victory is less bad for defense stocks than expected. I think the election outcome was perceived to be negative. And remember, uh, Boeing's defense business, certainly uh, especially as their uh, commercial aircraft business has suffered, has become disproportionately important. Uh, and I think the tailwind for defense stocks overall is very good. And I think Boeing ultimately will, will get that benefit. Third and finally, again, value over growth. We spent a lot of time talking about that. Is Boeing a value story? Well, I'm not so sure. But at least if you look at the cash flow recovery and where I think they will actually be uh, with 737 max recoveries as we get into the first and you know, second quarter of 2021, that's part of the story. The chart to me is very, very interesting. A breakout about one, above 170 in the last two days is a very important breakout. In fact, well above the downtrend that was set in the June highs and basically a wedge that's coming in from the lows that were set in March. So I love the chart. Time for questions. Pete, you've Tim, got I one. Got a, oh, yeah, I got a quick one for you, Tim. I mean, my question is this. For a long time, we yeah, did Pete? value, we looked at Boeing and we said, hey, it's all about cash, cash flow and, and how incredible amounts of cash flow that they had. Is that a bit of an issue? You touched on that for a second, but can we go back there for a, a moment longer, which is to say, yeah, are they going to be able to return to that kind of cash flow? It's the right question because, again, this was a company that was a cash flow machine. We were talking about 35 bucks a share in free cash flow uh, and a company that now has been staring at $50 billion cash burns. The cash flow positive story starts, I think, by kind of mid-2021. And in the meantime, I think they've significantly tightened the belt. So you're not buying it to get back to 35 bucks of, of cash a share. You're getting it on the recovery to cash flow positive. All right. No more questions. It is time to vote. Are you buying Tim's pitch? On Boeing, Steve Grasso, what do you say? Yeah, I'm going to say buy. I, I like the fact that uh, that this stock has been sort of building a base for building a base for the longest time, and I think it's ready to start taking off. Now, I, I really didn't mean that. I actually really didn't mean that. And when you look when you look at the airlines, 
When you look at the airlines right now, if you overlay a chart of Delta or any of the other airlines, they look very similar on their charts. So I would say that Boeing is telling us something looking towards the future. I think that we all know what the negative have been in the space and specifically with Boeing. But we're working through that, and I think the market is telling you something with this chart. The chart seems like it's breaking out, and it's above the 200-day for the first time since November of 2019. A big base is very important. In the immortal words of Ooh. Louise Yamada, the bigger the base, the higher in space. Pete Najarian, what do you say? You know, I, lo I love Tim's pitch. I think he's right on a lot of different levels. The problem for me right now, Mel, is that I, ha I think it's a little bit too Ooh. early. I love this name, but I think it, t it needs a little bit more time. Can you hold that, can you hold that sucker up? There we go. It do actually, <laughs> it doesn't say, okay. You're not buying. Uh, guy. <laughs> Mel, can you read this? On, are you able to read that, Melissa? I can, can almost can remember their funny faces. Who are you referring to? I can almost remember their funny faces. I know Tim knows what that is. Pete knows. Steve knows. You mentioned we used to all be at the NASDAQ. It got me thinking. Wow. I can almost remember their funny faces, which happens to be a lyric from a great Paul McCartney song, Jets, Boeing makes Jets. And I think it's going to the 230 level that it traded to in early June. I think it's broken out. I think it trades there. I think it fails when it does. So I'm, am I, is this a trader to fade it or a power pick? Whatever it is, I'm with Tim. Just, just buy Tim. it, guy. You're buying it. All right. That was circuitous. Um, okay. The traders have spoken. Now it is your turn out there. Are you at home buying Tim's fast pitch on Boeing? Head to Twitter, vote in our live poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll have the results later in the show. Coming up, shares of Ford revving up today as the auto giant doubles down on the EV market. We'll tell you what it means for the stock. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Ford shares jumping on news that the company is hiring workers to ramp up its electric vehicle efforts. Phil Lebeau joins us now with the very latest. And it's not just Ford, it's GM, too. Yeah, Melissa, what you're seeing is Ford and GM have both said we're making a concerted effort to, A, put the manufacturing in place for electric vehicles, and B, roll out the models. We'll hear more from Ford later this week with the e-transit van. But the announcement today is that they're going to be pumping another $100 million into their plant in Kansas City, adding 150 jobs. That's the plant where they're going to be building the e-transit van. It's a commercial van. Look, the Transit and the Transit Connect have been wildly popular, not only here in the U.S., but also in Europe. And so when you look at Ford's game plan, it basically comes down to this, the Mustang Mach-E. And we're going to start to see more about this over the next several weeks as deliveries begin later this year. You've got the E-Transit van. That comes out at the end of 21. And then the all-electric F-150. That's the big push for Ford when that comes out. And you're going to start to hear more about that over the next year. Still, when you look at Ford and GM and you compare them with Tesla and Neo, I know people will look at this and they'll say, oh, they're flatlining. They're not doing anything. Sure, they're not getting the same move as far as the stocks that you're seeing with Tesla and Neo, but they're not sitting still. I mean, what you're seeing with uh, both GM and Ford is a true plan for moving forward with EVs as quickly as possible. For General Motors, it comes down to this. They've got the Cadillac Lyric. That's an all-electric vehicle. That's going to be coming out in the next year and a half or so. 
the GMC Hummer, which had its big unveiling, if you will, uh, during the World Series, and we'll hear more about that over the next year. And then they've got 20 EV models by 2023. And yesterday, they said, look, we're hiring another 3,000 workers. They're going to be working in electric vehicles and our development of software as a service. So it's not just that we're making these. We want to make money, a continual revenue stream from those electric vehicles. So both GM and Ford, and both of the stocks have moved higher along with the rest to the market this week and I know people at home will say yeah but they're not doing what Tesla and what Neo are doing look they're moving forward that is at least a, a step in the right direction for these guys and for these stocks and it might not be the same audience either that they're going after I mean it's, it's not to say that one one right. wins at the other's expense at this point in time Correct. And remember, when you look at Ford with the e-transit, they're going after the commercial customer. Right. And they believe that electric vehicles will take off with commercial customers much faster than it will with, you know, you and I, the, the retail customer who might go out to a dealership or order one through an automaker. All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau you in bet. Chicago for us. We have been talking about a potential re-rating of some of these auto stocks for quite some time. And here we are. It continues, Tim. Um, you've been a big fan of this, and, and if we could get a little bit of the valuation of a Tesla or Neo into these stocks, you're looking for a big ride here. Yeah, and, and another big difference between GM and Tesla is GM's profitable. They had a record quarter. Again, a record quarter on EPS the last quarter in very difficult conditions. Uh, they'll probably be cash flow positive in 2020 uh, in a ridiculously difficult operating environment. But right, if it, at six and a quarter a share, roughly 2021, if you put a 10 times multiple on it, that's easy math. Uh, look, the fact that GM has been working in autonomous for years, but only now you're learning about it. News in the last 24 hours also that Walmart will be working with GM to at least test out to autonomous deliveries for Walmart. Uh, you know, the dynamics around Nikola or not um, is validation for not only their, their, their battery technology, but also the fact that they have been investing in this space for a long, long time. Um, this is a company that's proven how to win in difficult environment and, again, a profitable company. So um, it, it's never going to get anything close to a Tesla multiple. But this stock's going a lot higher because, again, you know, the Hummers sold out. All of these different models are exciting, creating a buzz. And there's a lot of people that would much rather buy a GM. Pete, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to give yourself a chance to redeem yourself because uh, in the last segment, you used the whiteboard very poorly. By not actually saying whether you would buy Tim's fast, but you had all sorts of words and bullet points. But okay, so it was way you, too much. Would you rather Tesla or GM? Yeah. Oh, oh boy, that's a tough one. Right, right now, I own uh, GM calls, and Tim was just talking about for all the right reasons. I mean, in October, Mel, this is a thirty-dollar stock, and now here we are, above forty-one dollars, and they continue to buy upside calls. Matter of fact, today they were buying out in March. They were going for the fifty-five calls. The problem I have, if you want to compare those two, the would you rather, I'd still have to go to Tesla. I, I continue to see the growth there and the potential there and the data that they've collected and all of the different sides of it that I still think it's a tech company more than it is a, t a car company. So if you're going to put me in that box, I'm going to go Tesla. All right. Coming up, hospital stocks seeing some healthy gains today. We'll tell you why option traders are betting one name in the space may be the cure for your portfolio. And coming up at the top of the hour, our Jim Cramer is chatting with the CEO of Beyond Meat after the company got burned on its earnings results yesterday. Do not go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. The health care trade in focus today is the Supreme Court hears arguments challenging Obamacare. And over in the options markets, traders are betting that hospital stocks could have a lot to gain or lose from the uncertainty. Mike's got the action. Mike Co, take it away. Yeah, we were taking a look at Community Health, the hospital operator from Tennessee. This thing saw five times as many calls as puts trade today. And right now, the options market is implying the stock could move more than 25 percent one way or the other by the end of the year. The most active options today were the 10 and a half strike calls that expire November regular way. Those were trading for about 90 cents. But some of that could have been profit taking given the stock rose and then fell 10 percent today. So they might be expecting a little bit of a pause before we see some of the volatility that led us here. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Alibaba tapping some major star power for its annual Singles Day shopping event. But our investors buying this hype will debate that. Plus, it's not too late to vote in our Twitter poll. Tim says it is time to buy Boeing. Do you agree? Head on over to at CNBC Fast Money to weigh in the results after this quick break. that that's Katy Perry. It is? It really does not look like Katy Perry. Okay, that is Katy Perry performing at Alibaba Singles Day, now underway. The shopping holiday wraps up. Oh, there she is. Yeah, tomorrow. Baba shares down 8% today's session. Um, Grasso, your take on this stock. Well, there's a couple of things that's going on. Obviously, the Chinese government, the, the headline, uh, the, the negative headline is that the Chinese government is trying to root out monopolistic behavior in the tech industry. That's going to weigh on these tech companies, along with people selling their technology companies. So it's two-pronged, and I think the Chinese government is the one that's putting the most headwind on that space. I would avoid it. Katie looked very different with, those, with the hair, you know. I know she's a fan of the show, so if she wants to call in, she's more than welcome. Uh, we want to get to the results. See? Completely different. Uh, the fast-pitch Twitter poll. Attention air traffic control. Start pumping. Dirty dancing out on the tarmac because America is, in fact, buying Tim's Woo! pitch on Boeing. 52.5%. So you've got the popular vote and the electoral college, Tim. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the wow. horn. Tim. Look, if I can't dance with Katy Perry, I'm going to dance with <laughs> Boeing, who I brought to this party. Uh, Boeing's going higher. Steve Grasso. Pete wants a recount on that for Tim. I'm going to go with uh, Virgin Galactic Space. And we're looking at Mor Morgan Stanley is having their space summit on December 8th. They're hitting a bunch of milestones. Space, SPCE is the symbol. Pete Najarian. I'm going to go back to the financials we talked about right at the top of the hour. And I'm going to go give you a Valley National Bank. I like this name. It hit the other day for unusual option activity. I bought the stock and the calls. I think it's going higher. Guy Adami. Mel, as you know, 45 years ago, the Edmund Fitzgerald went down on a cold November day. <laughs> dangerous, dangerous times. But Phillips 66 is going higher, PSX. All right. Thanks for watching Fast to See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.